0: You ever go to high school with somebody and you knew him pretty well, not like your best friend, but knew him pretty well for the four years you went to high school together, then you don't see him for a couple of years. And then the next time you see that person, maybe on the street, back visiting your hometown or wherever, that person has completely changed their look, how they talk, how they think, and it seems to be a change for the better. Yet someone from the Pac-12 reminds me of that sort of person from the weekend. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 Play-by-Play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching this show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so, especially on YouTube, where we just hit 1,000 subscribers. Keep hitting that subscribe button. Helps greatly. By the way, Herm Edwards got fired. Yeah, we're going to get to that tomorrow on the show. This is a more positive uplifting episode of the show and that tease I gave you in uh, the cold open today is referring to one Michael Penix now Washington fans have probably been waiting for this episode if you continue to listen to the show first of all thank you for doing that even though you probably did disagree with my take which appears to be very incorrect on Washington coming into uh, this season I was not particularly high on the Huskies I thought that with Michael Penix, a quarterback, if you could keep him upright, it's a six-win team, but it's probably less than that because Penix has a tendency to not stay healthy. Now, he still has to play a full season. I really hope he does. I hate watching guys just battle injuries all the time, especially in football when there are not that many chances to play. I hope he has a healthy season. He hasn't yet. I'm sure Husky fans are hoping he does as well. But the last time I saw him play at Indiana, I saw several of his games in the COVID year and a little bit of the season prior, but I, you know i watched him and thought all right it's it's a college quarterback he's nothing special he's nothing uh, terrible either right he's not out here having four interception games every you know third saturday in the fall he's not uh, blowing you away as maybe an nfl guy but he looks like a guy you could you know win some games with maybe a nice stopgap quarterback and such and then he came out on saturday against michigan state a team he'd played before and clearly maintained a high level of confidence against and just slung it all over the turf. I mean, from the first play, the first play. And if I haven't made it clear, I underestimated Washington. That looked like a team that with Penix there is a 9-10 to win team if they play at that level week in and week out. They've been at home every week in front of a great home crowd. That was an awesome game for the Pac-12. That was an awesome scene. Husky Stadium is one of the coolest scenes in the conference, bar none, with the water there, sail gating. Like it's very unique and it's very loud. And that game was on ABC against a ranked opponent, and Washington kicked the teeth in on Michigan State. That final score was way closer than what the what the game actually was. Like Washington dominated from the get go. Never felt like Michigan State could move the ball, and it never felt like Michigan State was able to stop Washington. And Michael Penix, he looked like his arm, to me, had more zip than I remember him having. And he was throwing the ball downfield, over the field. He was moving a little bit. But the chemistry he's got with his receivers, it was tremendous. And you know the other thing that really impressed me about Penix in particular? And, I mean, the entire Washington team and that coaching staff deserves a lot of credit. But Penix, as a transfer quarterback, when you come in, I think what can be really difficult in college football to do is command the respect and attention of a locker room when you're a transfer and you're not a homegrown recruit and such, the type that some fan bases often want to see. But when I watch Michael Penix's body language, when he comes off the sideline after scoring or after a big play, he has the attention of everybody on that team. He has the respect. He is their leader and he is engaged. And I love seeing that from a quarterback. That's what you want to see from your coach on the field. The most important position in all of sports, not someone who goes and throws a touchdown, then just goes to the sideline, maybe talks to his OC for a little bit. That's an old school phone. You know, they use that down there on the sidelines nowadays still. And so it's not, he's not someone who does that. And I think that that is really telling to how quick this cultural turnaround has been. It couldn't have been much worse for Washington a year ago And the reason that I was skeptical about them having a high level of success in 2022 is when things get ugly like that, right? Not just on the field, but some off the field stuff with Jimmy Lake, and we don't need to go down that rabbit hole once again. Getting a winning culture reestablished and getting guys to buy into a new staff oftentimes takes more than a year and the fact that Kalen DeBoer and his staff have done it here in this first season and got a marquee landmark win here in 2022 in the non-conference slate for the Pac-12 they deserve a ton of credit for that because it's a really tough thing to do and they've clearly done it and that was a well coached game like I said from the first snap it looked like Washington was smarter was executing better was playing faster was more physical, and Michael Penix, was—that that is the best I've ever seen him play. 397 yards, they had four touchdowns. He was lights out in that game, and I was not very high on him coming into the year, and he has shifted my perception of him because it was that good of a performance. I know Michigan State's pass defense is statistically one of the worst in the country. I don't care. That's a top 15, 20 caliber Big Ten opponent with some power five players and high-level recruits, and that was a bloodbath. (laughs) That was a bloodbath up in Seattle. Props to the Huskies. That was a really impressive performance. They're the biggest winner of uh, week one. Again, we're sticking with the positive theme. Winners and losers here on Monday's show, as always. Washington, a major winner, probably the biggest winner because of how their season went a year ago. The other big winner over the weekend, Oregon, trounces BYU. Similar sort of thing. From the start, Oregon's first play was actually really bad, and BYU had a 35-yard completion. But from there, the Ducks dominated that game on both sides of the ball. And I think answered a lot of questions that people very fairly had after the Georgia game, which were, well, how is this staff going to be able to coach in year one, right? Sometimes. And I tend to be in this camp because statistically, when you look around the country, that's kind of what it is. Coaching staffs tend to start to click and start to be able to really execute and find their footing in year two or three, but it doesn't mean you can't have success in year one, depending on the situation you're coming into. But that again, a huge win for the pack 12 to knock off a top 15 opponent. And so convincingly as well. And Thinking in the long run here, outside of this 2022 season, if the Pac-12 does indeed survive for you know beyond 2024 when USC and UCLA leave, Oregon and Washington, along with Utah, have to be the flagship football programs. Those are your your biggest brands right now that would be left when USC and UCLA UCLA leave, and the Bruins not looking like a top football brand because frankly they're not, never have been. They're more of a basketball school. You need Oregon and Washington for George Klyovkov to be good. And the fact that he had to be grinning ear to ear, right, assuming he can keep the Pac-12 together, he had to be grinning ear to ear watching Washington just take apart the number 11 team in the country, Michigan State, who I still think is a good football team, but they did not look like one against the Huskies. But I was more impressed with what Washington did than what Michigan State was not able to do. And if you're George Klyovkov, you're thinking, Oregon looked really good. Washington looks good. We know Utah is good. That's a more going forward. Is it as strong out USC in a couple of years? Nope, it's not. But if you're going to put together the best conference you can, those are the three teams you want to have. Those are the three teams. He'd probably like Stanford to be really good again as well. But those are probably the three most important teams for Kleofkoff going forward. He had to love that. Oregon, obviously, huge winner. Uh, Both sides of the ball. Both of those teams on both sides of the ball were way better than their higher ranked opponents. That's why it was such a good weekend for the Pac-12. And both were uh, nationally televised games and had plenty of people watching. That was a really good showing from both. The crowds were awesome. The games were awesome from the Pac-12 team's point of view, of course. It was just a really optically it was a good weekend for the pac 12 beyond those two there were other good things that took place across the conference of champions i'll tell you about them after i tell you about bet online your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports and info this season final excuse me find all the latest football league developments game matchups news and podcasts including this year's this week's games and more. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, MMA, boxing, my personal favorite, golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online is where the game starts. So another team that I put in the winners category, and if you haven't listened to this uh, segment of the show that that I'm doing here after every weekend of the Pac-12 football season, there are five categories that your team can be in after their game. Winners, losers, lean win, lean lose, no opinion. I put Arizona in the winners category here, being that not only did they win, but it's one where the fan base should feel optimistic because of that result. Right. Maybe it was a tightly contested game. Maybe the results uh, that that ended up happening was in question going in. And I think, you know, three and a half point lines for Oregon and BYU, they both or Oregon and Washington rather, they both cover handily. That's a reason for your team to feel good. Like betting markets thought you were this much better, but you were actually that much better. Those fan bases should feel supremely confident about how this season could potentially play out. Now there's still a lot of football to go. In three months, I might be singing a different tune about one or both or maybe neither of these schools, right? That's why this is so much fun, is you just don't always know what's going to happen. You can make inferences, but you're never going to be right 100% of the time. And I imagine even Washington fans who thought they would win that game or Oregon fans who thought they'd win that game, did either fan base on the whole see those teams routing the other side? I certainly did not. I don't think a lot of other people did either. That's why I was so impressive in their winners. But I put Arizona in this camp of winners over the weekend. I know they beat an FCS opponent, but if you don't know a lot about FCS football, North Dakota State is number one, the Alabama of FCS football. They win the national championship like every other year or something of that sort. And number two, they recruited a very high level for an FCS, FCS school. And they also w- had won six consecutive games against FBS opponents. That's not really an FBS matchup, right? Even Montana state who was in the FCS national championship game against those North Dakota state bison a year ago, right? They went into, uh, Portland at Providence park. They got thrashed by the beefs. North Dakota state is different. North Dakota state is an FBS caliber program. That's masquerading as an FCS team. That's why they win a bunch of national championships at that level. Now, There is still a context of Arizona's got more scholarships and more money behind it, and it's bigger. and You can have better athletes, a lot of positions for sure. But the reason I put Arizona in this winner's category for the week and why their fans should be feeling good after that win is number one, heck of a football game, right? Anytime you have a close win as a rebuilding football program. That's part of instilling a winning culture. you got to be able to grind out games sometimes and just find a way to get it done. Jaden Delora was really good in this one. The defense made stops when it needed to, despite struggling at times to stop the North Dakota State offense. But I think Arizona being 2-1 and going into conference play doesn't matter who your wins are against, right? Is this a lower level of excitement than Oregon and Washington should probably have? Yeah, sure. But when you're Arizona and you've bottomed out, the way their program has the last couple of years. And you're just trying to get back to some level of consistent relevance. And you've got two wins going into conference play. The opponents are not as important at that point in time. However, as they noted, North Dakota State is an FBS caliber team, right? it's like losing. It's like if Appalachian State were still an FCS team, you look at it and go, well, not really. Like they could compete in a mid-major or in a, a group of five or mid-major conference or, or whatever you want to call it, and and be a respectable program there. North Dakota State absolutely could. Like you don't think they could go into the Sun Belt and do it? Of course they could be a decent team there. And for Arizona, any sort of win is worthwhile for for at least a little bit of celebration. And that was a good win for the Wildcats. Now they get to show what they're made of uh, entering Pac-12 play. A lean win this week, Washington state. I thought they might have a trap game. I was worried about an emotional letdown. They were playing a bad team. Turns out UCLA had the trap game and very nearly fell. Get to them here in just a a moment. But uh, yeah, Washington state goes here because the offense finally clicked, right? You go on the road at Wisconsin, you get a win led by your defense and the offense kind of struggled. They also struggled against Idaho. Now on the offensive side of the ball, going into their first Pac-12 game of the year against Oregon in Pullman, what should be a really good football game. It's important that the offense has some confidence and that they start to get the ball rolling a little bit. I don't put them in the in the top-tier winners category because I think that's what you're supposed to do to Colorado State, but they didn't do that week one against Idaho, and I think the offense starting to show life and continuity and you know explosiveness the way that we expected it to coming in when they made the switch from Jane DeLore to Cam Ward in the off season and got new offensive coordinator despite having been a 7 and 5 team a year ago i think that is a good sign if you're washington state and now they feel confident and they're 3 and 0 going into the oregon game that's a pretty good place to be if you're a cougar fan i think they would have taken 2 and 1 i think they'll certainly take 3 and 0 they're not in the top 25 pretty good case they should be if either of those opponents was a little bit better, then maybe, maybe that's what they're missing in the voters' eyes. Cougs have a case to be in the top 25 right now. You go on the road, beat a preseason number 19 team, you deserve that sort of credit, pedigree, and clout. I, I think they got uh, they got screwed a, a little bit there. But another team that I, that I assign a lean win label to this week is Cal. Spencer, Cal lost. Yes, I know Cal lost. But coming into the year, nobody thought that game would be close. And clearly, I should just be betting my life savings on Cal each week. Got them nailed in uh, each of the last two Pac 12 prime picks. And they were not officially in it this week, but I, I talked about them at length. I thought they'd cover, but lose. They did. Um, also, the over under was 40 and a half, and the total in the game was 41, which is. Pretty hilarious. Vegas always knows. And I should have listened to Vegas when they told me that Washington is better than Michigan State. And alas, I did not. Hopefully, that's not the last time I make that mistake. No promises. We'll just have to keep finding out. But Cal lost this game, but they went on the road to a ruckus environment, playing a team that's got better athletes up and down. And they were driving for the win twice. They led going into the fourth quarter. That's a good sign if you're Cal. I was not high on the bears coming into this year. I'm still not because I think Jack Plummer's pretty limited a quarterback. And that's a big reason why they weren't able to go down and, and drive to tie the game or maybe win if they scored and decided to go for two point conversion. Not exactly Wilcox's MO, but you never know. But anyway, I still got questions there and Plummer has not done anything like Michael Penix has to shift my perception of him, but that was a good game for Cal. That was a well-played game. It was competitive. It was tight. Their defense played well. Their offense just couldn't quite do enough, which is always the question with Cal. I I thought they did well. They get a a lean win label here after week three. Hold on a sec. (sighs) Sorry. Had a little bit of dry mouth there. It was really bothering me. I thought about powering through. but Anyway, appreciate it. Uh, No opinion this week. Three teams that all won Oregon state, USC, Utah, the latter two, I had in my PAC 12 prime picks. I was confident and I was right that they were going to blow out their opponents. I think I actually had a uh, USC in like the 45 to 20 range. And it was 45 to 17. And Fresno state did miss a field goal it was very, very close to being spot on Utah. As JT Wister still texted me during the Utah San Diego State game, they're a second quarter team. (laughs) They were tied after the first quarter against Southern Utah in week two. They then went on a 66 to nothing run for the rest of the game. This was a game that was, I believe, 0 0 at the end of quarter number one and ended 35 to seven. But that's exactly what I expected both those teams to do. I think most people should have. And state left no doubts against Montana State, right? I'm not gonna have a strong opinion when you do what you're supposed to against a vastly inferior opponent. Uh San Diego State offense. Yikes. And they lost Braxton Birdmeister starting quarterback in that game. He had something with his eye, but it was not gonna matter. That was a dreadful offense, and Utah defense showed up the way you would expect them to. Uh only one team in the lean lose category this week. Also, Stanford out of bye, for those of you who didn't know. Really weird to have a bye in week three. Kind of defeats the purpose of having a buy in the first place they get an extra week to go prepare for Washington, who is firing on all cylinders right now. And USC slung it all over the field in Palo Alto. And now Washington gets a look at that Stanford defense. Good luck. Good luck, everybody. Caillou blue Kelly. Uh, that's a tough assignment for everybody. Cause Washington's got weapons and they are humming on the offensive side right now. Uh, lean lose this week goes to UCLA. You needed a game winning field goal against Alabama, South Alabama, your 15.5-point favorite at home. I did think it was curious the line opened at UCLA minus 12. I was like, why is that not closer to 20? Public event eventually moved it out towards 15, was not in the Pac-12 prime picks. Good thing it wasn't, because I probably would have taken UCLA to blow them out after looking a little better in Week 2. But if that field goal doesn't go in, UCLA is 2-1, and one, and that's disastrous. I mean, with that schedule, that would have been a disaster. They barely averted disaster. They have not looked good so far. They've got a chance to turn around. Maybe they're just playing down to their competition and they're capable of playing up to their opponents. We'll see. They have Colorado in week one. That's a chance to show that you actually are a pretty good team. And I expect UCLA to be 4-0 as I did going into the year. But man, that game is in Boulder. And you've had three inferior opponents at home you've now got an inferior opponent in Colorado who I'll get to here in uh, a couple minutes on the road. I don't know what kind of road environment that's going to be because now Colorado is much like Arizona was a year ago, just hoping they can get one win that that they can celebrate at some point in time. But UCLA was uh, you know, celebrating in the locker room after a game winning field goal. I get it's exciting in the moment, but That's not a good look for the Bruins. You got to be better than that against a team that you are much better than at home. And now you go on the road. I I think they'll get it done because Colorado is down in a bad way right now. But I I tell you what, not the start the Bruins were hoping for. Bowling Green was closer than it should have been in week one. And then Alabama State, that was never close, but that's a whole different level. An FCS caliber opponent. And then South Alabama had you on the ropes, needed a game-winning drive and a game-winning field goal to win by one point. That's not a good start for Chip Kelly here in 2022. Uh, The losers of the week, outright. Arizona State, (laughs) Richie Bradshaw called it, you know, I I wasn't too worried about it. I I wasn't that confident about it to where I put it in the the Pac-12 prime picks, but Uh, Richie Bradshaw came on and said, yeah, this this trap game right here, I I think they should be on upset alert. Lo and behold, here we are. Herm is gone. That's going to be on tomorrow's show when we get a little more negative. But I'm going to close with Colorado. The poor Buffaloes. I didn't think they'd win any of those games. I thought they would at least be competitive in one of them. And they were only competitive for a half at home week one TCU. They didn't manage an offensive touchdown. Three quarterbacks saw the field. Nobody can make it work. They hired a new offensive staff. It's not working. There's no other way to look at it. And, and I was willing, even though I anticipated Colorado being very down this year in the Pac-12, I was willing to give Carl Drell time if they showed some signs. And, you know, I wasn't thinking like, ah, you know, he's on a hot, hot seat right now. I thought his seat was kind of like, you know, lukewarm to, to toasting a little bit, you know, mild uh, maybe a little little broil there but not not all the way oven hot but boy, it kind of feels that way now because they just haven't been competitive. That that's got to be the most frustrating thing for Colorado fans. Not just that they're losing. That's a tough non-conference schedule, but they weren't competitive in those games. They're 27 and a half point underdog against a good Minnesota team. I mean, that's, that's like an FCS number. It's 49-7. They, they've they got no answers at quarterback. Their offense looks inept. Their defense can't stop anybody. There, there's just nothing going for them right now. They're they, they are a tough watch, and I, I feel really bad for Buff fans that they're going to have to go through this season because it might be even worse than I thought. I, I thought they could at least be competitive somewhat in one or two of these games, and they just... Haven't been the offense is not there, has not taken any steps forward. <laughs> you know, the only good news for them right now is, like I said, UCLA is not looking great so far. So maybe you can catch the Bruins and their slow starts and try and capitalize on it. But to do that, you have to be able to move the ball. Now, UCLA's defense, once again, is putrid. They allowed 31 points at home to South Alabama. Like What? It's, I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a lot of questions on that side of the ball. And their offenses are just getting off to slow starts and then uh, making adjustments, which is what Chip Kelly's always been good at. But they got to be better on, on both sides early in the game if they're going to be close to a 9- or 10-win team the way they should be, the way they should expect to be given how, how their schedule plays out in 2022. But Colorado is just not close. I, I just, If you want to have some comedic relief, go follow Barstool Colorado. They've got some great content on there for Buff fans, but it's great in the worst way. It's funny because they're making a a joke at how painful it is to watch them. They have not done anything right in the first three weeks. And and Herm Edwards is out Arizona State. That's coming tomorrow on the show. We're keeping it mostly positive today, but Carl Durrell, boy, he could very easily be next for Pac-12 coaches to go. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day.